Hello everyone and welcome to the One Touch Podcast. This is your host Vuyo as always and the, for the first time listeners, a warm welcome to you as well. And I'm glad you've decided to tune in this week. Please be sure to follow, like and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify to keep up with all our updates and episodes as we continue this journey of dissecting the beautiful game. So today's episode is slightly different as I'm not joined by my usual partners in crime being Junior and Kenny for what it's worth but rather by a very special guest in the form of former crew Alexandra, Sheffield United, Southend United and Gillingham player just to name a few clubs he's played for. For most young listeners he may be rather an unknown entity and in my own words we're here to write that wrong. <laughs> and sort of delve into his life as a footballer and currently a coach. So, ladies and gentlemen, I introduce to you guys Terry Nickel. Good to be here. No, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you for joining me today. Yeah. So, yeah, how you, how you been? I've been good. Um, I've just changed back to my original youth um, club. I've gone back to Cup from uh, KHA. KHA was a wonderful experience. Kevin McCloskey, brilliant. James as the boys DOC, boys to young men, very good. So nothing against um, KHA at all. I've just gone back to really where um, I so gave a lot to the roots, birth. You're right, you're yeah, yeah, cup. So yeah, because obviously I met you through KHA. That's yeah. You, you, one of my my coaches in my last year with the with the club, and I pretty much enjoyed. You know, you kind of built a relationship. You know, definitely, them, right? And you know, and I don't know if the listeners know, but you are a young man of talent. I know you you'll, I think you're self-critical, but um, you have a lot of promise. Um, I know you look into the game at such deep levels that you understand the game. You you. Uh, could be a fantastic player if you if you could put your mind back on it and yeah. go and run up and down a few hills. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I might consider it after this, you know. So yeah, so you know, without further ado, let's let's get straight into it. So born in Wilmslow, Greater, yep. Greater Manchester, nineteen fifty-two. I'm an old guy. Do you know Wilmslow has more professional soccer players living there than I'm, anywhere I, in the world? I, I, I actually, I actually saw that the other day. Sergio Aguero lives in that area now. Wilmslow and Alderley Hedge. Right. And the man Vidic used to live there back in his day when he used to play for Manchester United. Fergie. Right. So Fergie's there. So it's, it's, this is, this is, we're talking about a great area because it's actually the second most sought after area in the United Kingdom to live. To live. After, is it really? Yeah. After central London. Yeah, you go into a coffee shop there and, and, and you watch and there's Lamborghinis whipping by. Every kind of car goes by and right. then it'll pop a, yeah. one of the Man City, Man United players for a quick coffee before training. Right. So, uh, uh, nice place to live and grow up. Right. So, how would you say, how was that era growing up there, you know, Wormslow, you know, Greater Manchester? Manchester United wasn't such a great. It wasn't it wasn't a big club back. back Neither then. one. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they'd had they'd had their moments, but it was before Fergie and Man City were occasionally a leader, but most often middle of the road. So um, they weren't at that time. 
the the draw that they are now. Of course, Manchester United have fallen off a bit, which is heartbreaking for us all. <laughs> Absolutely, us being United fans, of course. Yeah, we've been crying all all afternoon <laughs> here, worried about how, how they're going to go on. Right. But um, it was my dad used to. Um, take us to Stockport County on a Friday, because they play on a Friday night. My dad used to have to work Saturday morning. So our my pilgrimage into soccer, mm -hmm. or where I first used to watch the pro game, was Stockport County on a Friday night. Oh, geez, lovely, lovely. I mean, that's where George, is that where George Best ended, ended up? Because he got released from United in, I think, 75? Oh, I don't think he ended up there. I think he made his way around the U.S., Playing in diff sorry about the I thought I'd turn that off. Playing in different leagues in the US. Yeah. Um, I I personally saw Bestie score one of his most uh, unbelievable goals, oh. where he dribbled through the South End United <laughs> defense twice, <laughs> not once. He went back and went through him again. I was a sub uh, waiting to come on there, and I thought, oh no, that's not a game I want to get on. Right, right. So yeah, basically, how would you say? growing up in that era and as you mentioned your your dad influenced you into becoming a footballer more my brother you brought your brother you yeah my, yeah. my brother um, was single-minded um even though he was good at schoolwork, he was um you know a good student he all he wanted to do was be a professional soccer player so um he got trials at burnley and uh, actually played in the central league for Burnley, never played in the first team, but was let go when he was 18. Instead of going on to be a professional and at 18, they let him go. And he went part-time into local Cheshire League, what they call the Cheshire League. Good, you know, and he would get a decent amount of money to play and they found him a job as well. Nice. So it was a tough time for him because he all he wanted to be was a pro. But he affected, he like opened the doors and... He became um, a good pro at the time when I was starting to take make a decision about the game. I think he was playing for Luton Town, right. who were a top second division, one league below the Premier, which was then called First Division. Right. So lovely, lovely. So you went on to sign your first pro contract at, was it 18? Uh, was I 18 or 19? I think I was 18. 19 for Crew, Crew, Crew Alex, yeah. yeah. Now, I'll tell you how good Crew Alex were. Yeah. There was 94 professional teams in the foot, English Football League there, ranging through fourth division. And Crew were, at, the, that, at that time, were number 92 in the, in the league oh, rankings. Oh, yeah. So that was the bottom of the bottom. But um, it at least gave me a chance and a taste to train every day in a disciplined environment, right. even though it was tough. A tough league, the fourth division. I got me, uh, I made me debut when there's a flu epidemic in the club, and um, actually, I was I was going from uh, what they call the part time contract. Mm. So when I actually made me debut for Crew Alex, I was an amateur, but I did all right in the game, and uh, they offered me a contract on the Monday. Lovely, so, lovely. so, so how, do you, how would you say? How was the experience playing for Crew? You'd say. Um, you learn to take knocks. Okay. The lower leagues in England are fast, furious, nasty. Yes. I, I definitely agree with that because obviously 
when people look at the English leagues, they the first league they talk about as a, as a Premier League, right? But like they don't really pay pay much attention to what's going on in the Championship, League One, League Two, you know, those kind of leagues. And for myself, like recently, as I was saying, I just got the chance to watch the Leeds United documentary about how this season went last season. So 46 games in the Championship, that must be brutal. Tough. Right. Tough. And um, what the beauty about the lower leagues when I was playing down there was, especially if you, when you turn pro, you become a prospect. If you were 18, playing for Crew Alexandra, you become a player that they send coaches, uh, uh, scouts to look at. So I would be getting me warm-up massage by the trainer before Crew Alexandra, and he'd say, uh, uh, Sheffield United are coming to watch you today. Uh, Liverpool are coming to watch you today. So if I wasn't nervous enough, I'd, yeah, st- I'd right. suddenly sweat would pour out my forehead. You know, yeah. I'd get cramped before I went on the pitch. <laughs> so a tough, tough upbringing. But I always had my brother as uh, as a model to go for. He was an honest professional, worked hard at his game. So I always had him as like the lead. lead. And I think people would give me. Uh, like crew gave me a tryout because they probably said, Oh, who's this Terry Nickel? Who's he? Oh, he's a brother of Chris Nickel. Right. As soon as you're on the pitch, it doesn't matter. It absolutely doesn't. Absolutely but doesn't. It, it might have opened doors for me certainly early on in right. uh, it, when I was deciding. So you'd say, because obviously growing up in Manchester, go to Manchester and then moving to crew, that's, that's, for your career, so to say, do you think that that kind of helped it instead of just staying in, in the area you used to stay? Well, crew wasn't that bad actually, because it. W- I don't know if you know crew, but that's like a railway mecca, right? Because I know, I know as much as having it was young only talent, like an, right? Yeah, and they they are very good at developing young, young talent. Yes, I know that much. Yeah. yeah, and they are a club that that they have to almost sell a player a year to help cover the, the wage bill for the year. So it's another way that they survive. Not a lot of lower uh, teams have the um, academy that Crew has. Crew Academy has developed a lot of good players. Right. So you went on to make 47 appearances for the club and then scored seven goals as a midfielder, you know. And an 18-year-old. Right. That's, as that's, a midi, that's, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely, that's, that's a great number. You can't even complain. No. You can't complain at all. And that at all would make people say well maybe it's worth looking at him we don't know how he plays but if he's if he's scoring a goal every four or five games then it might be worth going to have a look at him nice. plus I had the the it was in my family right and then you went on to move to Sheffield United yeah and right now we see that Sheffield United is sitting sixth in the Premier League so exciting right. so like, exciting can you imagine what's, what it's like for you and, you, and your yeah. mates back home Yes, yeah. watching you know a boyhood club and a club you played for, yeah, and have some sort of affiliation with, yeah, doing so well, yeah, fantastic. The manager is is bright, and even though he talks with a, an English accent, which isn't the fashion in, uh, <laughs> anymore, <laughs> anymore, um, I think he's got he's getting the best out of them. They are energetic, they attack quickly, um, they've got a great defensive record. Oh, I think absolutely. I think it's one of the best in the Prem. Yeah. Plus, he, he has a unique system where not only does he send out up his outside backs, mm-hmm. 
but even some of the central central defenders have given license to attack. Plus, they bomb. They they're energetic. They attack across the full width of the the field. So they score goals at the back post. And two of the goals this weekend were exactly. a midi coming yeah, in we'll, at the we'll talk uh, about that earlier. Yeah. yeah, coming in at the back post and getting almost tap-ins. Right. So I mean, as far as Sheffield United goes, currently. What do you think are realistic expectations for them as far as surviving in the Premier League and, you know, so to say, becoming a, a regular member of the, of the league? What do, what, do, what do you think? How far do you think the club can go? I think they, when you first go into the Prem, I think um, that they look at a, a playing squad probably the size of 15 to 20, mm -hmm. whereas the clubs that keep staying in there and are stable can almost pull out two first teams. Absolutely. And that enables them to get through the patches like um, Christmas where they'll play on Boxing Day and then the next Saturday. So they might play two games in four days or three three days. It's a huge ask oh, yeah. on, on, on the fitness of the players. Mentally and physically. You get worn out, yeah. and the Premier League doesn't have any or tends not to give you gimme games. Mm -hmm. We know that Leicester went through a, a gimme game the other week, but typically, even the lower teams in the basement of the first division are still a very physical battle, right. and you've got to dominate for very large parts of the game to make a game easy. Hundred percent, because they're usually much stronger. Well, I don't know whether La Liga. Or the other leagues can boast the same. Mm -hmm. I think. I think that a lot of leagues. I mean, some of the football played in Europe is fantastic, Absolutely. and it's ahead of the Premier League. Do we agree? Yeah, I, I definitely agree because you know, obviously, we have La Liga because people always say La Liga's football is much more beautiful than than the Prem. But how many? There's like probably the top ten teams are the most competitive, and then and the then, then then it's. More or less. And the Premier, you never know what to expect. Not at all. One week you at Southampton, who are sitting in 18th place right now, I, I'd imagine. And you, you never know what to expect when you go there. Look at the struggle that, that Liverpool and Man City had this weekend. Yep. Yep. You know, they were down 0-1. Both teams, I think, with 10 minutes to go. You know, they're battles. You have right. to find something late in the game. Right. You can't take a game off, no, typically. Absolutely. Yeah, so I think I think that that's what makes the, the Premier League especially special. You know, and generally it's more physical, I think. 100%. Anyway, I, I would, I definitely would agree with that. So, as I said, <laughs> what what would your expectations be for for Sheffield United this season? I think you, if you can survive, if they can, if they can, number one, stay in the stay in the prem, mm -hmm. huge, stay in the prem for 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 more than don't come in and then drop down, stay in the prem. I think. If you can finish in the top half of the Prem, mm -hmm. the first year, the first year you've come back to it. It's different if you're up and down. Uh, what are the up and down teams? There used to be uh, teams that come up and down fairly regularly. Yeah, yeah. They like can Middles adjust. Middlesbrough, and all Middlesbrough yeah, 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 all them. They're the they're e they can um, adjust quicker because they've been there. They know what it's like. Yeah. But Sheffield have been out of the Prem for so many years that they need to establish themselves in there. 
I like this coach. I think he's bright. I think he's got good ideas. He's bringing something different. And I thought Norwich showed this early on as well, but I don't know what's really happened to them. I didn't see him play this weekend. Mm -hmm. I, I did. I did actually get to watch the game against South Brighton. They, I think they lost three nothing. It was either two nil yeah, or three nil. Exactly, I think exactly against Brighton. Yeah, it wasn't really a promising, you know, result for them or performance, so to say. And I think you've got to bring something in. I don't think you can be like a stereotype or, or like, well, we play 4-2 four, four, and we do this, that and the other. I think you've got to bring in something that makes you a bit different. Absolutely. Something that, that will we make saying, the people excited. Yeah, because as we were saying, you know, at the start of the season, people were looking at Sheffield United. They're like, they're just basic, you know, you know what I mean? But that's, what, that's actually what makes them different and, you know, successful because... A couple of episodes ago, we had this conversation and um, there's a lot of English talent and, you know, hardworking, hard, that's what makes them, I think yeah. that's what makes, you know, that's yeah. that's what bridges the difference between them and a regular yeah. team in the Prem. They're yeah. really hardworking for each other and they know what the goal is at the, yeah. end, at the, end, at the end of the day. So, they, And they're stern at the back, so they don't, they, they don't lose a game it. before they have a chance to win it. Right. They're not 0-3 they're not down. After, after 10 minutes, they stay in the game by being disciplined at the back. And then, oh, by the way, we've got young nifty forwards that are fast out. Right. We have a little few tweaks on in, in, the, in their system. They get people down wide very quickly. They attack at the back post that gives them tapping goals. They're bright and breezy. There's, there doesn't seem any internal... The only internal rest they've got is who the ownership is. Yeah. No, but there's no, there's no bickering in, inside the team. Everybody wants to work for them. Everyone can see this common goal. They're all excited about playing in the prep. Absolutely. So since we're on Sheffield United right now, and as we said, Liverpool... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So... Rewind the clock a bit, yeah. Oh, just a bit. <laughs> just, just, just a tad, a tad bit. Yeah. It's a Monday night. Yeah. At Bramall Lane. Yeah. April eighth, nineteen seventy-four. Yeah. To be precise, you're yeah. starting for Sheffield United, and yeah. you're not even given much of a, cha a chance against against a Liverpool team. No, they've gone thirteen games unbeaten. Right. And um, you're in the top top division of the of the English league, toughest league in the world, the most football obsessed country known to man. And you're playing against Bill Shankly's Liverpool. Yeah. And the team is full of legends, including yeah. Ray Clements. Yeah, goalie. England Tom, goalie. You're right. Tommy Keegan. Smith. Keegan. Yeah. Tommy Smith was the nasty. He tackled his grandmother. Exactly. He, really, he would show studs to his grandmom. Right. Well, uh, Emily Hughes. Yeah. England international. Exactly. Kevin Keegan. Yeah. I'm sure most people yeah. should know Kevin Keegan. Yeah. Steve Hayway. Highway, yeah. Highway, yeah. yeah. And uh, John Toshak. Toshak and Keegan were the two up front. They they had what I used to say, eyes in the back of the head. They knew where each other were by instinct and right. by smell or something, right. you know, so, way ahead. Do you know the biggest thing I remember about that? Which we'll, we'll go, on, go on. We used to, on a, on a midweek night game, we used to, uh, after a, a warm-up in training, they used to take us up into the hills, uh, to this hotel so they could keep a check on us, make sure we got the rest, make sure we ate right. And they, there was a putting green up there. And uh, I can remember, and we used to leave our cars up there and then go 
to the ground on a on the bus, the the team bus, so you wouldn't get caught up in traffic or anything. And the night we played Liverpool, it was I think we were up on the pointing green about four o'clock. We'd had our afternoon nap, and we were putting on this green, and we could hear the crowd in the valley below. United, United. It was, Insane, I mean, it was yeah. packed. I know. And we're we're on. It was so. It was so surreal to me because we're on this putting serving, trying to keep calm, trying to put the and golf the ball, and you could hear the fans below in the valley chanting uh, "United." So it just talking about it brings uh, hairs hairs on my on my head. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. Yeah, fantastic. The, what happened that night? What did the game end at? One nil, one nothing, and I wonder who scored the goal. That yeah, night. I snuck one in. Yeah, it was like crazy. <laughs> so, of all your twenty-two league games for Sheffield United, you scored one goal, and yeah. that was the goal against Liverpool. Yeah, I um, I was mainly a midi, so um, I think in that game uh, I was playing as the what we would call like an energizer, a ten mm-hmm. floating between midfield and up front. And I was playing in that role. So often I was wide. So I was like um, a squad player. Right. And we you were only allowed to dress 12. And um, so if you were sub, you had to be used to playing anywhere. Right. I mean, I was starting in that game, but he started me as a 10, just joining in with the, the nine as quick as I could. And um, just... What am I trying to say? That typically I didn't play in that central or stri- striking role. I was more uh, on the side. But I played over thirty games for. I played nearly forty games because I play. I'd play in games like what they used to call the Texaco Cup. I play in the. I play in the FA Cup quite a few games. So I did play more than um, more than twenty odd games. I did. Mm-hmm. I think I was in the like. For low forties, got you, got you. And but um, it was mainly a, uh, yeah. a squad. Yeah, and I can only imagine because that season, I think if I'm not wrong, Sheffield finished like in around the top six. I think we finished just outside the top six. Top six, yeah. And at that at that time, they were talking about uh, we were battling just above the relegation zone for for a, a long part of that season, if I remember right. And we had some good players. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you guys, you might remember, because you, I think you like to look back in the history of things, but Tony Curry was an outstanding Play, yeah, England player. And I think he went to Leeds in the end. But he was one of the best midfielders in in England. And I typically played in his role. So that kept me out of the team as well, because I would play often that if that 10 role mm-hmm. and he was obviously one of the best players in the country right. so so yeah i obviously <coughs> as many people might not know that one goal against liverpool had a huge say yeah. in the title race that season yeah because and they say it cost it cost them the title no absolutely because um i think leeds took over yeah, from exactly. them exactly leeds is the one who ended up winning the title that season yeah yeah no wasn't it derby county was it leeds Leeds, I Leeds, think, took yeah, over. Yeah. I, I might be wrong there. Yeah. I might be wrong. Check if you check on your on your thing. Dave. It might be might be Derby, but you know, okay. yeah, it might be Leeds. Mm. But then still on Liverpool though, and then a couple. I don't know if it was a couple of years later. 
you had an incident with your car being stolen. <laughs> yeah, it's a funny one. And being found in, in Liverpool. Yeah, well, I had the, we were out after a hard game. We went mm-hmm. out in Manchester. And we, we, you, you remember what year this was? No. No. <laughs> well, I was, still, I was still pro at, at Sheffield at yeah, the yeah. time, so it must have been either next year. Yeah, exactly. And we went out in Sheffield, and um, I went out to the car at the end of the evening, and uh, gone. Right. So I called the police, and the police <laughs> came out, and they said, um, okay, uh, well, come. They didn't ask me too many questions about the car or anything. Right. It was a nice little car that I had and I wanted it back and they were saying no um, get a lift on with your mates and then come out to the police station in the morning we'll take you over to Liverpool and I'm saying well is that it and they said yeah anyway I, 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 on on that note I got a, a lift home and then came back to the police station on on the following day which was a Sunday morning and that I, they just said get in the car yeah. And they drove me out and they took me to where my car was. <laughs> was do, do you remember if this was do you remember if this was before the, the fixture you scored the goal in or was it after? After. After. Okay. But I they knew say, where it was gonna yeah, be. Because I was gonna say there's probably some some sort of mo- motivation for your score against, against yeah. Liverpool. No, right? no, I would I would have liked to have that. But they knew where that if they missed if the Liverpoolians that went out in Manchester missed the last train home. Yeah. They would go and steal a car. Right. But what they did was not damage it at all, fill it up with gas, oh not touch anything <laughs> in it. And it was like an agreement they had with the police. So they knew exactly where yeah, my car was going to be. Yeah, right. And I got in it full tank, no, no uh, nothing that. touched. You probably stressing Oh, I was. I mean, I couldn't believe how casual they right, were about right. it. It was unbelievable. Well, that was funny. Yeah, and staying on on sort of like funny stories, so to say. True, Alexandra, your initiation. Talk, talk, talk us through that. Um, what I remember was uh, it was a <laughs> snowy day, and they took all my training gear off me. Yeah. And I was left exposed. Oh, boy. And they, what's that uh, tape that's very sticky? Uh, it's usually silver-coloured. It, oh. it mends, you can wrap it round everything. Gotcha, 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 yeah. But it was very adhesive, very sticky, and very, very strong. So they take me to a floodlight pylon, oh, and there was goodness. there was snow on the ground. Wasn't it Wasn't it like on a train track as well? It was next to the train, train track, track, because crews And trains, trains are passing by. Yeah. Oh, my days. It was a very, very embarrassing yeah. moment. And no. they were all throwing snowballs at me. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Yeah. That's some of the initiation that goes on uh, right. as a young pro. No, absolutely. And how would you say leagues and, like, basically how players are treated nowadays compared to back in the day, or even, like, on the field and off the field as well, would you say how much, how much toughness did you need to... You know, to how much stuff did you need to endure? Um, the best thing I can give an example of is um, you had to learn the game and learn it fast. Right. Um, you weren't molly coddled. Mm-hmm. I can remember one game where um, I mispassed the ball to my centre half. A forward nipped in, took it round him, and scored scored a goal. 
at half time, he was stood at the locker room door and wouldn't let me in the locker room. No oh boy. And this was the captain of the team. <laughs> he had me in the headlock. <laughs> he was six foot three. His eyebrows were with protruding yeah, yeah, oh yeah. my goodness what a monster what a, what a guy he was right. and he says you're not going in that effing locker room I said <laughs> he said you showed me up there you showed me up had me in a headlock yeah. and wouldn't let me go in the, in the locker room no, for the half time yeah. tour yeah. there was a there was a discipline expected um, when you if you were subbed you got off the pitch and the sub got on there was very little you know, like the Arsenal lad this Shut last up, weekend yeah. was was shocking. That, that's in front of his home fans. Right. You wouldn't get away with that, and it wouldn't be the manager that would take care of that. Players. It would be the your the teammates. your teammates yeah, in the yeah, locker room. would yeah. say, "What is that?" They would they put down the right. rules and regulations and how you were to live. Yeah. Uh, the manager it, it made managing it put the the perspective right. The leaders of the team. That wasn't, I didn't satisfy the leaders of the team, mm -hmm. not the man in charge, the leaders of the team. And that elevated um, the stance and the power that, that a captain had. So when a captain shouted something out on the, on the field, you listened. <laughs> it's yeah. been a long time since United listen, were done. Listen to this guy. Yeah, I've got to get my digs in because we, we have no trophies. <laughs> Cheeky. And basically, coming to, to compare, what, what would you say the biggest differences between playing back in the day and playing playing in this area of football now? I think there's more science in the fitness and recovery. Mm -hmm. uh, there's more um, theory in how to prepare a body for 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 that mm -hmm. exercise and then recover and get back to playing again at hundred percent. So recovery is huge. That's things like the cryos and all that, that they've come up with where you freeze the body and let it re rebuild it mm -hmm. on itself. I think dietary and, and um, overall fitness of the players, I think has gone up speed. Yeah. Like in everything world records, Keep happening. Exactly. So the professional, top professional athletes are fitter, mm -hmm. stronger, can go right for longer as well. Mm -hmm. Fitter, stronger for longer. Right. Because obviously, touching onto a more sensitive issue, you know, your brother played for Aston Villa, the legend at Aston Villa, and and at Southampton. He's the one who gave Alan Shearer. For those who don't know, he's the one who gave Alan Shearer his debut for Southampton back back in the day. And other good, some other good players right, as well. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Some other decent players as well. Yeah. Recently, a couple of years back, he was diagnosed basically with with dementia. Yeah. And he basically struggles to remember where he where he yeah. lives. Yeah. And the main reason is from hitting the ball so much. Yeah. Because exactly. He was featured on a documentary by Alan Shearer where Alan was talking about how in practice he would be heading up to 150 balls at yeah. a training session. Yeah. So it's pretty intense back in the day. Every day. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I can only imagine the, you know, the, yeah. the damage that that could do. Yeah. And the balls were heavier back then. Exactly. Yeah. They were yeah. much heavier Sponges, back then. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So soak up the water. Would you say the FA or maybe even UEFA have, have worked towards 
protecting players more nowadays and just making sure that, you know, it's still an enjoyable game, but it's not a killer game. Um, I think there's some work to be done. Mm -hmm. I think there's some science that we don't understand. I don't think anybody can put their finger on it because essentially you almost have to be dead and passed away to go into the brain to see where the damage is done. So it's not like they can put my brother in for tests and find some real answers. Mm -hmm. It's only when he's, and I hate to talk about my brother like this, but any sportsman that suffers from the head injuries, it's only when they're gone can they go in and really, really find out how much damage is done. So I think what the the football FA or football league or whatever organisations we're talking about, they have got millions and millions of dollars to do your research. Just they need yeah, to definitely. they need to do something with that money and put it into not just to benefit players but to benefit anybody that 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 has a, a bad car accident with a head trauma. They they have got money there that they take out of everybody's transfer fee they take their chunk out there they're very quick to do it right. amass this money couldn't that be used in a way that's beneficial couldn't that be used in saying let's find a way of scanning these brains and saying who's suffering from it now mm-hmm. i've talked to you for an hour or two right. and i can't remember some of the names that you guys are coming yeah, forward yeah, yeah, to yeah, yeah. And I was no way ahead of, ahead of the ball like my brother did. So I can only imagine how much of an impact that would have on, you know, those kind of players that had to go through that, that kind of yeah, and, and, and if you're going up and heading balls every every game, you're going to also get an elbow in there. My brother broke his nose five times for playing for Villa. Right. Imagine that, you, your nose being crushed five times. Luckily, Villa paid for his surgery and his, um, you know, plastic surgery. So they got at least his nose in the right place. But who knows what that's done behind that. And what we got told is if we had a headache after training, whether it was from a concussion, we didn't know whether it was from a concuss. Mm -hmm. They'd say, oh, there's an aspirin, (laughs) put a bag of ice on your neck. Mm -hmm. You'll be all right. Right. And typically, you do recover quickly, but it's that continuous. And the fact that then should... again, and then again, and then again, and then again. The fact that the games come come in so thick and fast nowadays. You know, we have teams playing three games a week. Yeah. I can only imagine. You know, there's yeah. not really that recovery time for players nowadays, and I just you can only hope that you know it hasn't affected the players. Well, I know as a coach, I have to take concussion, recognizing concussion, mm-hmm. and pulling that player out. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, as part of our um, ability to coach in a youth team scenario, we have to be cleverer than what our trainers were, right. even when I played in a, in a very good league, top league in England. Yeah. It was, I'm afraid to say, either a cold sponge down the front of your shorts, which had a way <laughs> of getting you running again, or aspirin and ice on the back of your neck. I I think we're on the right track, though, right? Because at least it's been uh, acknowledged now. Like, we know there's a problem. Uh, I think the next step forward is to try and figure out what to do about it. So with Shearer's documentary, uh, was that done by some kind of charity or was that some kind of authority? Mm -hmm. 
Mustard in, yeah. So I can only see the situation getting better, is what, what I'm saying. Yeah. My brother was a, uh, he was a, his job was to head the ball. Yeah. So he was, that was his, and he was happy to do that. And even in that, that advert, he said he wouldn't change one thing. He was happy with his life. He was happy to play pro soccer at a top level. And they love him at Villa. So he considers it a sacrifice for the, the yeah. life that he was able to lead from it. Correct. Hmm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, so... I think one thing that's helped uh, is that in this country, the players that get it the most, but obviously boxers, but the quarterbacks get it. Yeah. Because of how many hits they take on the, right. on the around the helmet. And I think that brought this CTE into into this country sooner probably at the pro level than it has in soccer right. in Europe. Right. No, so I think they look after quarterbacks better. They look at them very closely after they've had a concussion. They probably have to go through all these rituals of getting being allowed to go back onto the field to play. So maybe American football and what happens to the quarterbacks is going to be important in the the research and development of of ways to beat it or find out how to trace it and see it. Mm -hmm. no, absolutely, absolutely. And so now we're just going to backtrack all the way to your South End United days and your Gillingham United days. Gillingham FC. Gillingham FC. Gillingham FC. No more gin and tonics for you either. <laughs> <laughs> the worst thing, yeah. one of the worst things I remember, I went to Gillingham on loan from South End United and to get to work, I had to get, two trains to get to crossing the Thames. I'd have to get, so two trains, a ferry across the Thames, a train at the other side, and a taxi yeah. to get to training. <laughs> and <clears throat> actually the two clubs, if you go by the crow flies, is like 40 miles apart. Mm -hmm. But to get to training was like an adventure. Wow. But um, I enjoyed Southend, I, I didn't really make a mark at Southend. I, I played, I don't know, 40 games or something. Yeah, about 53 games at Southend. Yeah, and um, they played on a Friday night, which was good, because you knew that a game <laughs> on Friday night, you could go to London oh, yeah. and watch a great game on Saturday. Saturday yeah, Saturday. So it was a football weekend, was good. Oh, was um, but I, um, I didn't enjoy my time at Southend. I got... Um, glandular fever so I what do they call that in this country when you get mono mono yeah, yeah. and that put me out and that stays in your body yeah. for five six months or it can do and it did so you I wasn't your system up quite a bit yeah so I was only good for an hour and then they yanked me off yeah. um, so as, that was as, as, for your, as for your time at Gillingham though much better because you spent most, most sorry you spent most yeah. of your career at, at the club Jerry Summers was a, a very good manager. Yeah. He believed in playing. He believed in building out the back before it was a fashion. We had good fullbacks that could play. Steve Bruce was one of the centre halves, so he could play out the back. Yeah, especially in the lower leagues, he was an you know he was dominant. And uh, so we believed in good play. So it was always a pleasure to play for the Gillingham team. Right. 
And uh, and you were yeah. there quite a while. You played a lot of games for them, didn't you? Yeah, a number of games for them. So, uh, um, 184, 84, yeah. 184 games, scoring eleven goals. Yeah, not a bad return for you know defense for a while. So that was a good time. Um, the only negative there is I fell out with the manager over something stupid, mm -hmm. and I could tell my time there because. You know, I couldn't, even though I liked him, we fell out and um, I had to find a new team and mm -hmm. then went to, came to this country exactly. to play Pro yeah. Indoor, exactly. which was brilliant because Pro Indoor at that time, the NASL was folding up and the MISL was coming to to the top. Mm -hmm. That was back in place. 1981 where you ended up making 173 appearances and scoring 46 goals for for Wichita. Yeah. So how, how would you explain that to him from becoming, you know, a football player in the football league in England yeah. to almost becoming, uh, paving the way in, in, you know, making indoor football a, a much bigger sport? Yeah. I'll tell you one thing. I wish I'd played pro indoor when I was 18. Mm -hmm. If I'd have done that, I'd have been a better player. Player. Yeah. Mainly because there's nowhere to hide. You had to get the ball. You had to be good at offense and defense within seconds. Mm -hmm. You had to be able to slow an attack down. You had to be able to counterattack very quickly. Mm -hmm. So indoor soccer was a very positive experience. Mm -hmm. Getting paid to travel across this country. I mean, when the MISL started, there was Tacoma, um, LA, San Diego, Phoenix. Um, what was uh, it? Wasn't Tampa Bay? They weren't going. Forget who was in the Florida side, but we went up to Baltimore and all up that so side. It was very well traveled around the country. Yeah, having good treated. Time. Yeah, right. treated very very well. Lovely, lovely, lovely. And the good players in there, uh, talent was good. Mm -hmm. And there's a different kind of um, play action. You know, using the boards for a given goals, playing off the backboards was like a cross. Mm -hmm. right? We'd get a cross coming in, hit the backboards, and it would ricochet across the face. Mm. At Wichita, for the first three years, you couldn't get a ticket. The place held 10,000, just under 10,000. You couldn't buy a ticket. The phone would be ringing and saying, can you get me a ticket? And I'd say, I'm, I can't get I can't get you a ticket. Did you uh, – I heard a little rumour. You, you had uh, some Welsh players or a Welsh player there. Mickey Thomas. Oh, have you heard of him? Do you know who that is? No, absolutely. Played for Weston, Man United. Evan. And he, the best story, I was his coach. I went from a player to coach there. So we got Mickey Thomas in. And he was a magic indoor player because he was little, tiny, nippy. And we re, he went was going home for the, for the summer break. And uh, I got a phone call late one night and it was, um, <laughs> Terry, would you come down to the airport? I said, why? He said, uh, there's a, one of our cars. One of our cars, I think there were Subarus or something, and they had a big W on the side for wings, so you could spot them for a mile away. And I went to the airport, and I saw the car. It was in the middle of this. There was nothing around it because everyone had come home and got in the cars. But every door was open, including the back, back uh, thing to yeah, get yeah. everything in. And the car was still running. <laughs> he just left it. He just yeah. left it with all the doors open. 
just left it. He said, oh, where, oh, where was he going? He was coming home to play for Shrewsbury Town. Like he, he was yeah, that excited to get home. Yeah. Just yeah. leave the car as it is. When they went to his when they went to his flat uh, apartment that we provided, there was like four walls painted black, <laughs> and three walls were painted purple. It was like going into this dungeon. <laughs> it was really weird. Yeah. And he obviously got angry in the basement because there was signs where he'd kicked the ball against the uh, the walls oh. and left holes up. So he was an absolute character. He is a character, and we are, I'll have to let you know about Mickey Thomas after this podcast. Yeah, it's yeah. probably a podcast in itself. Yeah. <laughs> just, just on Mickey I, I, Thomas. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. So Terry, what? For Man United. Yeah, I know. What about um, the incident with you and the parrot? <laughs> the old Tino. <laughs> that was indoor. Yeah. Tino. Can you tell us about that? Italian yeah. goalkeeper. Yeah. No case of a goalkeeper. A good goalkeeper. Yeah. Top, top-notch goalkeeper, MI style. And, uh, yeah. Oh, Terry, before you go on, did I tell you I actually met him? Oh, did you? Yeah. because yeah, I, I said yeah, something about he that. He thought I was joking. He thought Tino. I was... Re- yeah. So what happened, Will, you know, I'm a food safety officer by uh, by trade. Um, I was in one of my facilities and, uh, you know, the owners, they knew that I was into soccer. I said, oh, Sean, you're into soccer, right? I said, yeah. So there's somebody here I want you to meet. And it was this uh, Leteria guy. <laughs> goalkeeper. He told, he told me he's a goalkeeper. Yeah, right. Yeah, he's very short, right? Yeah. He's pretty Small. short. Yeah, stocky. But I think he's from Barry in Italy yeah. originally. Um, but anyway, his thing was that he always had the parrot on, on the back of his goal or something, protecting the goal. And then I mentioned it to Terry at training one night because uh, we were coaching the kids. And uh, you told me the story. I couldn't believe that anyone would remember yeah. that kind of information. Yeah, kind of but we were, I was on um, the power play defence unit, uh, which is when um, you have typically a man down Mm -hmm. and you play four against five outfield players and you have to defend. But near the end of the game, they bring the goalkeeper forward. So we would go into a power play defence. So he would come out and bring the ball out, right? So he would come into more of the playing area. And the time's ticking off. It's usually two minutes to go. We were winning. And he'd been causing trouble all the time. And he was doing this, you know, (laughs) making a bird thing. And the uh, fans, yeah. Anyway, last minute, um, we break out, and he's quite way up the field. And I just clip it past me, but he kicks me so high in the air. I it was a two hit fight. Yeah. He hit me, kicked me high. <laughs> I hit the floor, <laughs> but the 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 benches both all came out. Oh. He ran. He he ran off because our, all our players were in. Oh come yeah. So there's a huge fight in it. And it's on, it's on video. Yeah, I'll probably have to find that soon. Yeah, you'll have, have to find that soon. But it was a funny end to... Um, that was what the indoor was like. They, he almost wanted to make it like hockey, not quite as bad as hockey, but humour in there. Mm-hmm. The, the bloke that ran the league after the first year was actually worked for Wichita. He was called Bill Kenton. And he brought in this... He actually had a fight with the coach to bring some press. Oh, you're joking, like uh, the wrestling stuff? Yeah. Like kind of scripted a little bit? Yeah. What? I had no idea. 
Interesting, yeah. interesting. So to create the atmosphere in the games, yeah. it was brilliant. But he was a he was a nice bloke. Uh, met him that day, and he's in the food business now. And I, I think is he was. He, is he still around you, like in Cincinnati? No, no, he he flew in from Minnesota oh, no. for he sold a machine, a food machine, to the company that I was inspecting. Mm-hmm. And then we, yeah, he played in the World Cup, I believe, for Canada. Interesting. Yeah, he's right. one of the shortest goalkeepers to play yeah, in the World Cup. He was brilliant indoor. It didn't matter how tall you were. Right, just just quick. quick. So he was fantastic. Yeah, Everton's got an indoor keeper in goal right now. (laughs) 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 Taking jabs at your own team. Uh, Yeah, so basically you play for Wichita from 81 to 86 and then ended up making that transition from being a player to a coach. uh, Memphis. Exactly, Memphis. The Storm as well. Yeah, Memphis Storm. Right. How would you say that um, transition was? Do you would you think that it's one of those things where, as a player after your career, you just you naturally know if you're going to become a coach and continue in the game, or you're just going to take, or you actually want to take a break from the game. I didn't need a break at that stage. I think at 34, 35, 34, 35, you you start taking longer to get over nicks and mm-hmm. bruises. Uh, you find yourself not quite getting to the ball to make a tackle so somebody will get by you. Your efficiency goes. And I think it, for me it was 34. I played the first four or five games of the season and felt all right as a captain, assistant coach. Um, but I, it wasn't a place where I felt really, really comfortable because I don't think I could play as well. Mm-hmm. Was effective. Right. And in indoor, typically you play two minutes on, you jump off, and a similar player jumps on. It's like <laughs> hockey, right. but we played for two minutes. And I noticed that my shift was getting shorter. Oh, okay. So self realization. Yeah. It's a bit brutal, but you can't keep going on playing at that level. Right. Some sports you can. I mean, look at what Tom Brady's doing. But I don't know if he has to really physically get from one spot to another in the same time as he had to when he was learning the game. Absolutely. He's probably so talented now he recognises stuff and makes allowances for that. But then I got the chance to be the full coach. I was the full coach at Memphis for a year, remaining year or two, then Wichita wanted me back as a coach. So Mm -hmm. had time as player and coach in Wichita, which was fun. Great city for because there's nothing else to do. Smart from anything. <laughs> there's nothing else. There's yeah. the shockers, I think, play Wichita. Uh, I, can, I, can, I can imagine, I can imagine. So, I mean, both of you guys, I met you guys through coaching, and obviously very grateful to, to have you guys be my coaches. And having had a father who was very much into the game, how much would you say you, your dad kind of impacted you? Huge. As a coach? Huge, massive impact. Yeah, he was honest. Yeah. And um, Sunday dinner <laughs> was brutal. Once once we'd finished, the girls had made the dinner so they could re- go and retire and watch TV. Then it was up to the lads to take care of the dishes and tidy up. But the salt pot always became number nine. <laughs> <laughs> and that would be moved around and my dad would give me brother... <laughs> So much stick if he, my brother let a centre forward turn yeah. 
or anything like that. It's like, why weren't you in the salt pot and the yeah. pepper pot were going? Actually, when my brother was a, actually a, a, an Irish international, yeah. so this I was captain captain the eighty two Northern Irish team to, at the World Cup. Yeah, and pretty, pretty and he was home one weekend, and yeah. my dad made me brother cry. <laughs> it was so hard at the, the, the dinner table afterwards but it was a brilliant coaching place yeah because there was no there was no falseness about it it was brutal it was straightforward Honest. yeah honestly brutal yeah and there was no excuses right. yeah you didn't I didn't dare come oh well I felt tired at that moment but that would have so, you know, end up with a sprout in my eye. Dad throw a, a potato at me for if, if there was a weak reason for anything. So it was a good, honest place. And perhaps some of the best coaching we received was just the honest, honest analysis mm -hmm. of what you did. Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether now we safeguard our kids, but I don't know whether... As coaches, and we all coach, yeah, we all, yeah. can we go to that level of honesty without there being an uproar afterwards? That we're not treating our players as well as we I should. I think it depends on your approach and your delivery. I mean, you've got to figure out everybody's personality, right? Every child's personality. Because you can address kids as a group in a certain way, but when you address them individually, yeah, you've, you've got to get it right with the personality. Absolutely. Because if you address them in the wrong way, they're going to implode. Yeah. You know. That's very key. Um, but I think we have a, an opportunity now, me and Vuyo, because we're coaching really young kids. Right, yeah. He's got U10s, I've got U11s. And I think we can kind of uh, start to work on that now and start molding them. So my goal is by the time they're 14, 15, they'll be able to deal with any type of coach, mm -hmm. yeah. with any kind of criticism, in yeah. any mode of delivery. You know what I mean? Toughen yeah. them up. Yeah. Um, but it, it takes a lot of work, though, to get to know the kids and each individual. Can kid. you be truthful to the player? Can you be truthful of you got to show yes. At this age? At this age. I'm working on that now. Yeah. It's, it's in your wording. And you know, maybe being indirect about things. Exactly. I mean, I'm, they're ten years old. Yeah. You know, and then you know, some of the dads want to ask you about stuff. I said, well, you know, he's not very mobile right now, but we're going to focus on developing his touch, and we'll see how he matures. Let's exactly. just focus yeah. on on the touch. The and wording, the, the wording is very key. The wording and just you know how you put it out there is definitely key. How to towards towards how, how, how the player and how the yeah. like parent you know because the parents yeah you've got to be careful <laughs> if you use the wrong word with certain parents exactly. uh, it parents will be used stage. against you in a court of law <laughs> <laughs> almost exactly exactly so, you yeah. think it helped that my that my dad tended to coach the day after and it was out of view of the goals and yeah. the no, people absolutely, because because i think, love it because i don't think anyone better could have being being so critical of you, you know what I mean? This is your own dad. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have some sort of respect towards you, and he only wants the best for you. Yeah. Well, it, it was, I mean, it seemed kind of harsh, but it was also constructive. Oh, of course. Right? Yeah. And, and so, yeah, he's you giving you a hard time, exactly. but he's actually teaching you something, right. too. As you mature, you, that's when you start to realize that yeah. you know, he only wants the best for me. Yeah, so. And when I say hard, I've got to be careful how that comes over, but it was, it was so that he would see everything. Mm-hmm. 
he wouldn't be worried about Mickey Spate, who played number eight. He was worried about what I was doing at number six. Right. And he didn't worry about Mickey Spate. He worried about exactly what's, what's, what, doing? Yeah. what's Chris right. doing. Right. He didn't worry about the goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. He said, you should have had it. If the keeper's not going for it, you should have it. Right. You know, there was no um, other things to clutter, clutter the message up. So when I say he was hard, um, it wasn't that he always shouted or or was nasty. He was just analytical, and he would remember. Oh, you miss pass here. So well, he, he was calling out your mistakes, basically. Correct, right? And he would occasionally say, no, "I like this move, or I like what you did there." You know, Chris, you did well here. You, you know, so I'm not saying it was always. I would say though, maybe it was hard for that generation, Terry. That. A lot of kids had that type of upbringing, but without the constructive part of it that you're talking about. Maybe just calling out the mistakes Mm -hmm. and ribbing on the kid, but not giving that constructive um, progression to it like you received. Yeah, absolutely. And and basically, moving on to, you know, I'd say there's a very important issue right now in terms of US soccer and, and, and English soccer as well. Yeah. What do you? Because obviously we know the amount of talent that you know the British game has and the, the English game has. Oh, sorry, the English and the American game has. Do you think this generation of English players and American players can actually achieve something special? Uh, American players, no. I think they're kind of uh, constrained in a way. They're always going to be constrained. We talked about the college yeah, yeah, thing set up exactly. Exactly. Um, Theoretically, America should be able to produce some of the best players in the world. Like the facilities we see here, all three of us, it's like world class. High school teams have world class yeah. facilities. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> as far as putting that all together, I don't think it's translating into a cohesive um, situation for the national team. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly. The as in, as in, yeah, the national team. Obviously, we we being coaches, you know, we can only do so much with our age groups. Do you think that it can be taken up to the national level now? I think what they've got to do is not be rigid in their, their age groups. Mm-hmm. Um, judge talent not by, oh, he's the best at U8, U16. Somehow they've got to build up in the best team mm-hmm. bigger age differences, which will allow, not age differences, what am I trying to say? If you If you are coaching a U15 team, and there's a U13 player that can physically Push stand up, playing in the U15. Yeah. That lad should be playing in U15. Right. Rooney played in Premier League at 15. Yeah. yeah. So what happened there? Was he yeah. held back so he could play on the Sunday on 100%. the U15 team? 100%. 100%. He was allowed to find his own level. Yeah. And we don't allow him to find their own level yeah. because we are – handcuffed into, well, he's a U15, he's a U16. Um, the handcuffing is across all types of levels and variables in the United States, right. where I think in the United Kingdom, there's so much football going on that there's places to find your way. But there's only like, you know, there's one system here, and you can't seem to navigate and get forward in that one system, then what other option do you have? And At home, you can go play in league in different yeah. areas. Yeah, Here, you can't do that. No. What... Pulisic, where did he 
Did he go to college? You know he didn't. He went to Dortmund at uh, 17 or 16 or 17. Right. Maybe this guy's right. a lead. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's exactly. Yeah, that's what I've been trying to say. That's starting to happen, though. That the, a, a young player at 16 can say, oh, I need a degree, so I'll earn this kind of money when I'm uh, 28. Maybe there's a choice now that if, you, if you're good enough, yeah. and only if you're good enough, you can go to Germany, go to England, or there should be somewhere here where you can be and not choose co college soccer, yeah. but say, I want to be a pro, I want to be a pro now. 100%. I definitely, I definitely fully Maybe he's a lead. Fully agree with that. And as far as the, the English talent goes, because he's know, made for life now. Who? Yeah. Oh, yeah. If he's, if he's smart enough, he's got better than the yeah. degree, he's got guaranteed yes. money. Now for the but he's, he's an outlier, right? If yeah. we talk about the kids that we coach, I yeah. don't know how many kids we coach, Terry, like hundreds. Yeah, you know, how many of them are going to be pro? Well, I was at a when I was at the pro uh youth level at Gillingham, you can make a stronger decision there, you can be because he's already playing with, with and against pros, right? So it wasn't hard to say Steve Bruce has got a great chance to be a top player, right? It wasn't a hard he was already ahead of his time at 16. He was playing U18, right. sometimes in the first team. So he was already, it was easy to spot because they allowed him to play up. Yeah. Now, if whatever we do, and now we've got um, we've got FC's academy, maybe there's easier paths for local players now. So that if you've got a great talent at U11, and somehow he can come under a, a, the academy watch because they're watching Cup U13s. Mm -hmm. Right. If he comes into that at 11, he's playing at Cup 13s, maybe he'll be seen. Right. Maybe he'll be seen at KHA. And I understand that, and that's good for our region, but we do have that system in place already in different cities and different areas of the United States. But is that at some point? How does that translate into having a successful national That's team? Because exactly. I don't see yeah. it. There's yeah. something not something right. Missing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Well, uh, the, the national team still, when they're at their best for progress, that time, 16, 18 to 20, where the, the kid becomes something outstanding, is, is now where are they at? Unless they're at an academy... Will it be really, really seen by people that can push that mm -hmm. young man forward right. and and find what level he can play at? Not accept that, oh, he's very good at U16. Because Rooney, that wouldn't have happened for Rooney. Yeah, He wouldn't have been a, a, a top player at, at 16 and a half or playing for Everton right. when he was 16 and a half, right? Yeah. 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 Somehow, so, that's not... Um, that's not a coach really doing. He's he's pushing himself forward. He's pushed himself at sixteen to play like a man mm -hmm. and to show the talent that he can play at U eighteen or Premier League Premier League standard. Right, right, yeah. Now, so I, it's the talent that pushes them forward, not the age. But now, as I was saying, like with the with British talent, so to say, the English team right now, we have. Jaden Sancho, we have, you know, Phil Foden, top, top players, you know, at, at the age 
do you think this generation could be something special for them? I don't know. Is it another false dawn? Because you know it's know, almost I, like history yeah, repeating exactly, itself, yeah, and it could be, could especially with the the English media blowing things out of proportion. But they did get to the semi final of uh, what was it, the Euros? I think that's important when you look at the U twenty threes where they're going. They under uh, what was the age group under that U twenties? Was it U twenties? That one walk up a couple of, couple of years, years ago. ago. I think a U seventeen. U17. U17. Yeah, gnarly about U20 level if, now. If they're making a mark on the international game against right. everyone else's best U18s yeah, or U20s, yeah. Yeah. then I think you can put a marker on that. I think you can say, well, they're doing very well in the World Cups of that age group. We're doing more than just surviving. Mm-hmm. We're actually going and beating these teams. Right. So I think that's a safer judgment. All right, we're winning that. We're doing better at that competition. We're either winning or going a long way in them tournaments. Yeah, but now it's a key. Can it translate to that, That you know, where it comes? Well, what's City doing with, with their lad? Yeah. He's in and so, out. Yeah. Phone. Yeah. He picks his moments. He chooses his time. He's been handled like a, a yeah, top yeah, yeah. pro. I know, I know exactly. exactly. Yeah, I mean, nice, he's nice. getting time because I've yeah. seen him quite a bit. Out yeah, there on the field, yeah, and yeah, obviously it's a good he's talent. Selective though, and, and, then now, think he's... and then now we have like you know instances like Rashford, twenty-one. He's played more than hundred. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And now it's it's like. I did read something interesting somewhere about uh, it was one. I think it was a Sunderland academy coach. I don't know if Bracewell was there, but he was helping out with the England U seventeen team mm-hmm. a few years ago, and it, it was almost saying that some of the English young players now are almost because they have kind of made it in mm-hmm. the academies. Something about going through the motions a little bit, right? So when they came up against uh, the Croatian under-17s came in a few years ago, um, the Croatians technically weren't as good, weren't as technical or accomplished as the English players, but they had that old hunger yeah. to get it done, get, get something, get, be aggressive. Get, just get the job and done. Yeah. They came in and they did over England, beat them 2-0. Yeah. And, you know, there's kind of a clash of a culture there. But that would have been the old British players yeah. back yeah. in the day playing like that. Yeah. Are we losing a They're bit of that around. spark? We're losing a bit of that spark, I think. even we were talking earlier about how, like, we feel like the Premier League, just for example, it's, it's not like, it's not the same. Football's not the same anymore. No, there's something different about yeah, yeah. it. Like uh, part of the soul has been extracted. Mm-hmm. I, I think you know money is a lot to do with that, but th- it's something more than that, though. And I, I can't put my uh, yeah, that's that's the, the blood, sweat, and tears that I grew up it's with watching it. There. It's, it's not, not the same. I know, I know. And I think it's maybe because of that spark. Yeah, 100%. you know, we need some Roy Keens and Duncan Ferguson's <laughs> out there. Yeah, characters instead of molds. Characters. Hundred percent. Yeah, I think. I th- I'm not disagreeing, but I think the the forward press that is that's, the top teams have got it down. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, Liverpool, 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 Liverpool was a great, great example. They, they can do it. I didn't really see it today, a lot today, yeah, exactly. but that's because you're playing against Man City. You don't yeah. want to leave so much <sighs> behind. But when when the English teams are doing that, I think the game is really, really appealing. Right. I think the pressure and the, the what the opponent has to do to play through it or over it, whatever, becomes a chess game. 
but chess game with muscle, a bit of muscle in there as well. You know, yeah. it's not just all thought, oh, we're going to do this, which I think well, is... they're the forcing other each other to play. They're yeah. forcing each other to do something. And to play through hard right. press. So I think it, I think that the successful game in England now, the forwards are really the first line of defence. Yeah. We used to say that. Right. But it's really a case now. Yeah. And they make a game very hard for it for your opponent to build through it, the ones that do it successfully. Yeah. Man, you haven't sorted it out Not yet. Really and it looks obvious. If you watch exactly. City when they're on the full press and then you watch United, United do it with one player here, one player there, when it's really the whole team that that have to do it right. for it to be a success. Right, right. Yeah, well, I think that trend is good. Yeah, and it makes it attractive. Absolutely. All right, Terry. Do you think uh, we could ask you a few quick-fire questions? Yeah. Hopefully, these will be uh, <laughs> no names, one-liners, no is. names. Don't incriminate anybody. <laughs> All right, let's Good. just get into a few of these. I'll I'll try and uh, be selective with which questions I pick out here. All right, who's the toughest opponent you faced as a pro? Kevin McCluskey when I was. I just fired me. Toughest was um, Bite Your Legs, Norman Hunter. Yeah. Okay, I've said that. What was so, it, Leeds? Leeds United. Leeds United yeah. Well, who's the meanest? Uh, would that be the same person? Tommy Smith. Tommy Smith. You said, Bruce Riach. you said Bruce Riach was pretty mean. Bruce Riach was mean. He was mean. Yeah. Joey Barton mean? Uh, uh, yeah, I miss Joey. I miss, I miss Joey. Joey. I love Joey. Days, man. He's still around, Fleetwood. Well, he? Fleetwood manager. Yeah, yeah, he's doing well. Okay, uh, what was your favourite stadium to play in? I loved Tottenham. You're supposed to say Goodison, you knob. <laughs> I, <loved it. laughs> I was scared at Goodison. Goodison. Good. The first time I went into that main stand, yeah. and this is years ago, obviously, I was scared to look down. It was scary. That in the upper stand. balcony? Right up there, yeah. The Looking over to the Gladys. How's it Anfield? Rubbish. Anfield, <laughs> Anfield um, was was a brilliant experience. I think I had a couple of good things happen at Tottenham that that uh, made me feel good. Old White Holly, yeah, yeah. Main Road was a very that's a great place, great place to go. Yeah, yeah. Big crowds there. Right. Sheffield, first year I went to Sheffield, it was a cricket ground. Oh yeah. And they only started building the main the main stand after I was there a year. So we used to play in the on a. All right, Terry. Uh, which was the most intimidating stadium to play in? Was it Anfield? Liverpool, Anfield. No one. Cold Blow Lane. No. All right. What's the best score? Uh, best goal you ever scored as a pro? A left-footed bender um, for Gillingham versus. Wrexham. Oh, of course. <laughs> You're putting the knife in here. Yeah. Wrexham. I'm actually a Chester Away. fan, not a Wrexham yeah, fan. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good old stadium too. Left footer. Um, I, I know the answer to this. Uh, which team did you support as a boy? I might know this one. Yeah. Go on. Stockport County. Yeah, go on. Yeah. They played on a Friday night. Yeah. My dad wouldn't take me Edge, to Old Edgley Trafford. Park. Edgley Park. I've been Friday there. night. I like it. Brilliant. Uh, okay. What was your last competitive game in England? Do you remember it? Exactly, Gillingham. Uh, I can't remember. Around 85. Yeah. Yeah. Gillingham. What's what's the last memorable one you remember, though? For Gillingham? Yeah. When we lost to Maidstone. Oh, Was that like a derby down there? It was FA Cup. Derby. 
and they were top non-league. We were third, and they beat us. Oh, I missed a sitter from into that door. <laughs> so like Sergio Aguero today. today. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, who was the biggest influence on your pro career? Um, equal dad, brother. I knew. It would be one of those. Yeah, All right, here's a good one. If you were made up of 10 pints, how many pints are Irish? How many pints are English? How many are American? And how many are just plain old lager? Not lager. Zero lager, bollocks. Um, right? <laughs> a red, malty, Irish, Scottish, English ale. Happy, happy boy. <laughs> are you going to go quarters on that one? Um, occasional Guinness. Oh boy. We were always told by our trainers, right? One pint is very one pint of Guinness is very, very good for you. Two pints of Guinness is very, very bad for you. So you, just have, to be, you have to be right in between. All right, one. but Terry, here's the question. Your we're talking about your makeup here. Are you like four pints Irish, five pints English, two pints American, or what? How how oh, do you what, how do you what? see yourself? Um Irish, English, now American. Third, third, third. A third? Third, third, third. I like that. That's very good. more question to ask him. Hold on, hold on. I've lived in America. One more question. I've lived in America more than I've lived in England. Yeah. Yeah. My dad's Irish, so I'm 50% Irish. Last question here. What's the best car you've ever driven? I know you like cars. Hence the question. Um... Lotus Seven. Is this the one that's in that's right on you? No, it's that one there. Oh boy, that one right there. Yeah, see it, Terry. I'm seeing here a coaching contract. Am I allowed? (laughs) Am I allowed to look at the those papers there? See how underpaid I am. No, I'm not. I'm not going to look. Just joking. Okay, so gentlemen. All right, hold on. Here we go. To finish off, who is the best? We always have this debate every almost every episode. Who is the best player of all time? I'm trying to be controversial with this bestie. Oof. Oh my days, this man. <laughs> well, you've obviously never seen him play. Yeah, I mean, you have to look at some <laughs> of the Is that what you're going with? Bestie. I know. Okay. What are you doing? Well, for a long time, it was Maradona. I had to get me off that track. And then give us the all time. It's hard. Then Zidane came along, and then Ronaldo. I love Ronaldo. Um, I mean, we can be serious about Messi, right? He plays in the glorified Cheshire League. Um, (laughs) Messi. For me, it's Maradona. Maradona. Final answer. Yes. Yes. How about you, Roya? Gentlemen, this is a tough one, man. I have to go with Ronaldo. Me being a United fan. Ooh, I like it. I love Ronaldo. When you look at, you know, what he's achieved through his career, you know, played at United, played at, you know, Madrid, now at Juve. He's he's done it. And what he's done for the Portugal uh, national team. team All on his own shoulders. You know what I mean? Good at dribbling, good at... Heading, brilliant at heading. Strong, strong player. Target. I know. And you know, I know he's a pretty boy. He used to be an ugly boy, but now he's a pretty boy. (laughs) But have you seen how hard he works? Or he used to work when he was at his peak? Absolutely. So find an answer best. I'm sticking with best. And Maradona. Maradona. Ronaldo. So Messi out of the conversation. Who? 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 The lion boy from the Cheshire League. (laughs) 
Yeah. <laughs> now, perfect, perfect. Hey, so guys, thank you very much for joining us today. I would like to thank Terry a ton and Sean today for you know sacrificing your time to join me today on the podcast. Time is very valuable, no, no problem. Absolutely, absolutely. So yeah, guys, thank great you characters. Much. I love nah, love being here today. Nah, with thanks you for guys. hosting, Terry. Yeah, You're welcome. Thank Gracious. You host. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, yeah, I mean, it's been a great experience having you guys listen in today, and uh, I hope you guys just continue to tune into the podcast and continue to just create a you know a bigger community you know just talk about football more and, you know just continue to have fun with with the beautiful game as always too any last words um just great to be with you yeah. too i've had a chance to coach you yeah. and your potential was great is great and i've had a chance to work alongside sean who's a fantastic coach and well, brings I'll... brings humor Humor, his humor is top notch, <laughs> and he can he can tell a player off, and that player doesn't even know it because he's laughing. No, because quick question for you, <laughs> did you have glandular fever when I coached you? <laughs>